Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we are going to be talking about the basics of dehydrating food for preservation. This week's episode of the Pantry Chat is brought to you by BCS Two Wheel Tractors. Now you may have already heard of the legendary versatility of BCS two-wheel tractor for small farms and homesteads. We love ours here on Riverbend. It's the most efficient and time-saving choice for a small acreage. Building raised beds with a rotary plow attachment, mixing in soil amendments with the power harrow, and shredding cover crops in place with the flail mower. But a BCS two-wheel tractor is more than just a gardening tool. BCS powers more than 40 high-quality PTO-driven attachments, each with the power and performance of an all-gear drive transmission. Blow snow with the BCS's snow thrower. Chip and shred limbs and sticks with a chipper shredder. Clean up your property with a pressure washer. Haul up to 1,100 pounds, including yourself, with the ride-on utility tractor. And even spread compost over 30-inch beds with the spreader attachment. Yep. BCS is pretty much the Swiss army knife of power equipment for your homestead. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full range of tractors and attachments and find your nearest BCS dealer today. That's bcsamerica.com. All right, so today we're going to be talking dehydrating. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because dehydrating is such a great method for getting food on your shelf, filling up the pantry. And I love having multiple methods of filling the pantry because as you know when harvest season rolls around you might have your canners running and running and running there's only so much you can can in a day so I love having optional methods you know other methods and dehydrating is a great one absolutely and it's just nice to have some variety and there's mm-hmm. just uh, you know different uses for those foods too yeah. I love the dehydrating because I, I backpack some of that with the yeah. kids and hunting and that's great and hey you guys we are right in the middle of a series on kind of preservation 101 and taking you through some of the, the basics in a, in, a, in a good level of detail of a lot of different preservation methods. We've already done canning mm-hmm. and fermenting. Yes. This week we're on dehydrating. Yeah. And I think we're covering root cellaring coming up. Yes. And I'm not sure about anything else yet, but this is a good fun series. So yeah. go back and check out the other ones if you haven't seen it. And we will dive into dehydrating here in just a second. But let's catch up with a little chit chat for a moment. How are you? There's some <laughs> stuff going on right now. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of stuff going on in the backdrop. And, uh, you know, great grandma Jeannie came to live with us about, I think about six, seven weeks ago about now. About six, seven weeks ago. And if you guys remember, <laughs> she has visited off and on. We just 
uh, did a flashback to a video we did with her last year. Grandma yeah. was born in Abilene, Texas during the Great Depression. She lived through the Dust Bowl. 1928. Let me tell you, it's funny when you start writing 28 on birth dates for people because we're in 20. Yeah. And 28 from the century ago. I mean, that's a, that's a yeah, long it's, life. It's well lived. Up, it really is. And she has done a lot. Anyway, she, you were saying she's living with us. And... and we had an incident this last week where her hips really started hurting. So thankfully, we got her into the doctor. They took one look at her, sent her over to the ER because she had pneumonia that she did not even know about. She yeah. had no clue about. So she had pneumonia and breaks in her pelvis. Did you guys know that you can have pneumonia severely and you're not coughing, you're not wheezing? She did have some discomfort that she noted that we were going to look at, but she had no signs. And so that's just something good to know, especially if you're having elderly care, um, that that can show. I didn't realize that that could be that severe and not have any presentation. Absolutely no coughing. That right. was surprising. It yeah. wasn't even like she's like, oh, yep. I cough here and there. So anyways, that has caused both of us, I mean, there's there's two trips a day right now down to the hospital, yep. which is about half an hour away. We're so blessed to have a wonderful local small hospital. Yeah, yeah but just very good treatment, very good people. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, very, very thankful for them. Yeah, it is. And we'll be, you know, looking at giving her some extra care when she gets mm -hmm. home. And so, you know, this is a really, I think this is a really good season to be thinking about caring for people who are ill or recovering at home. We used to have to do this all the time. In past centuries, before the hospital and the nursing homes were so prevalent, we used to just make a practice of being prepared to care for ill and elderly people mm -hmm. at home. We've kind of lost that knowledge. Um, I find it fascinating when I go through cookbooks or home books from the 1600s, 1700s, Whole sections of the book are dedicated to what to feed invalids, people who are mm. ill and can't eat normal foods. I find that interesting because you sure don't turn to our modern cookbooks, you know, right. kind of like your Better Homes and Gardens covers everything cookbook and have a special diet for ill people section. Wow. You know, it was just standard. And so it, it's an interesting look at when we bring the family back together you know, we start doing things more home-based, there are skills that we still have to learn how to care for people. Well, absolutely. And there, I'm, we're thankful for this opportunity to have with her and also just to be building generational living because yes. it's something we want to encourage. And we're seeing more and more people come together as families as times get harder, as economics are challenging, and more and more families are coming back to that model yeah. of, of banding together through the generations. And um, there's a lot of blessing and benefit. There's also a lot of challenge and difficulty in mm -hmm. that, in, in caring for people and working through life together and sharing yeah. life. And um, But it's it's really, really exciting. I want to say before we move on that she is, because y'all are going to be thinking, she is doing much better. It was, oh, yes, it was a very rough spot, mm -hmm. um, but she's recovering very well. The hospital's taking great care of her. She is just a trooper, Absolutely. ready to go. We've all been joking that the physical therapy's been getting her out walking, and she's getting hard to keep up with. Yeah, uh, she just about wants to get out there and run. So uh, she's just got a real passion for life. And that's why she's done so well through so many things, because she just loves to live. She is very hardy. She yeah. just bounces back. Yeah. And yeah. she was in the hospital singing the other day and just having a blast with a man who came through with a guitar singing hymns. She just thought that was the most wonderful thing. And so here she is so <laughs> sick with pneumonia and singing as best she can in the yeah. hospital. And 
you know, her love of life is just amazing yeah. and contagious. It can, so. Yes, exactly. Infectious and contagious. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> of course. All righty. Well, that's, I guess, kind of consumed both of our times it along is. with harvest season and getting ready for winter and all the other stuff that we're doing on the homestead. But that's been at the top of our minds, obviously. And um, a little putting a little pressure on to get the other stuff done, but um, yeah. it's okay. We're, we're doing uh, you know, it. At the top of that right now is fruit harvest is yep. really happening. And we, the plums are just going crazy. We made tons of plum jam. We've made prunes. We have a great Italian prune tree. It's young, but it's really getting going this year. So we're dehydrating a lot of prunes. But then I got to say, finally, finally, years into my homesteading journey, I have finally perfected fruit weather. It has taken a long time. Sure is good. <laughs> you know, the, the basic directions out there are something like make a smoothie, essentially, out mm-hmm. of your fruit, sweeten it, and then put it on your dehydrator trays. And I have just never really been happy with the result. It's not hmm. what I want it to be. And oh. so finally this year, I dug in and I actually did some research and I figured it out. And we're talking about dehydrating today, so I'm going to be sharing my special tip with you all the way at the end cool. on how to make great fruit leather. Very cool. I love the fruit leather. Great, great snacks. Hits the sweet tooth real well, yeah. and it's healthy, and it's uh, great to take out working on the homestead or hiking or backpacking, hunting. You're going to love it even that. more. Good. Good. Even You're going to have to fill my pack up because we've got several hunters this year. Yep. We're going to be out there this fall. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All righty. Well, good job on that. And I guess let's uh, jump into a question. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, for today. And let's okay. see here. Um, we'll ask one here from on your cover in this one. Okay. From A. Colley on Preservation 101 and Intro to Canning. Okay. Okay, Carolyn, I water bath can some guava pineapple jam. Wow, that sounds good. And that's my commentary. And all was fine until I noticed one jar grew mold and popped open, and one of the other jars were popped up too. What could have gone wrong? This has now scared me to can. Okay, that's a really good question. And, you know, I can't tell you exactly what went wrong because I can't sit here and ask you questions and work through this. But there are a few things that you need to consider and that could have gone wrong. Number one, did you use an approved recipe? That's something or an a recipe, a recipe using, you know, the latest safe methods. Uh, you can do a little bit of uh, recipe creation in canning as long as you're using the very, very safe methods. Um, that's the first thing to consider. Second thing that I would guess happened, assuming that you were using correct methods, so you actually did a water, a boiling water bath canning on that. You didn't just open kettle it, you know, and turn it upside down on the counter or something like that. But assuming you actually canned it in a boiling water bath, was your headspace correct? Because if your headspace was not correct, that's that airspace at the top of the jar, the, the space between the top of the food and the lid inside your jar. If that's not correct, it can cause you not to get a proper vacuum seal in your jar. The other thing to check is, did your jars have any nicks in the rim? Um, having a, a, a failed jam is not nearly, nearly as dangerous as having vegetables or some low acid food fails. Botulism cannot live in that high acid environment of a jam of fruits like that. So that's why using that approved uh, recipe is so important because if you know it's high acid, then you've got some mold. It's not like it was deadly 
you know, you don't want somebody who has a uh, compromised immune system consuming anything like that. But there wasn't going to be botulism in that. So you can take a deep breath and not worry so much because that is that high acid food. But my guess is going to be that your um, headspace was incorrect on that. So double check that next time. Very cool. Thanks yeah. for that question, A. Collie. Okay. All right. Well, let's dive in. As usual, we've got a lot to cover. And we're talking about dehydrating today. And I guess let's start with the obvious to make sure we've covered our bases. What is dehydrating? Yeah, I think most good. of us kind of got to get an idea of that. But, but what is it? Yeah, dehydrating is removing the liquid from a food so that your bacteria and your mold cannot grow in that food. Mm -hmm. Your spoiling agents need liquid in order to be able to survive in most cases. And so by removing that liquid you are removing what they need in order to survive. So this is why you don't have mold growing on dry surfaces, right? You need wet surfaces. Right. So you're allowing an environment where that food can just become shelf stable by removing that liquid. Cool. And that is a very, very old, we didn't pull history on this, but dehydrating. Oh, this is ancient. Is, this is, is old certain, You know, way, humans. way before canning or anything like that. I mean, canning history is kind of interesting, but... It is a very short lifespan yeah, yeah. compared to something like uh, fermenting or dehydrating. Well, and the reality is, is dehydrating is so natural, it's going to happen in nature. You know, you leave that plum on the tree, you're going to go out in another month or two and you're going to have a prune on the tree. It may not be in great condition because it might have heated and cooled and everything, but it's going to dry all by mm. itself in nature. So it's a very, very natural process. Yeah, cool. And, and imagine, we'll probably talk about this, but it, it's going to do a little better at preserving the nutrient in the food. Compared. It can if you do it right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. So um, why would somebody dehydrate? What are the, you know, some of the benefits or reasons to okay. dehydrate over some other preservation methods? Okay. Some of the benefits are, one, it preserves your food. That, that's kind of the mm -hmm. obvious benefit. Right. Two, it's really a good way to make convenience foods, especially convenient snacks. Things like fruit leathers, you know, uh, vegetable chips fruit chips, things mm -hmm. like that, make a great snack. Um, another is that it's very, very lightweight. So for things like backpacking, um, you're talking about, you know, when you go out hunting or something, you can create very lightweight food for it versus taking, you know, a can of soup. You can take along the dried ingredients and just kind of have an instant meal that right. you can prepare. And you know, a lot of people automatically for that situation think freeze-dried foods, mm -hmm. which are great and mm -hmm. awesome. But um, and this is something we're going to cover in the future. But freeze-drying is expensive to get into. The units are just expensive, and of course, buying it is expensive. Right. So dehydrating is actually a great uh, backup to that. And we've gone out backpacking mm -hmm. where I've dehydrated whole meal, spaghetti meals, and yeah. scrambled eggs, and bacon, and all kinds of stuff. And um, it's not quite as good. It doesn't come out quite as good as freeze-dried food, but it's very good, and it's your own, and it's not expensive. So yes. that's what's really cool is you can have some good quality meals while you're out on those kinds of trips, and it's it's very, very inexpensive. Yeah, it is. The other really good thing about um, about dehydrating is that it takes something that's very large, and it makes it really small. So not just lightweight, but small. Mm -hmm. So a lot of you guys write us and get, say, we're in a small apartment. We don't have a lot of storage for canned goods. What can we do? Dehydrating is your friend. It takes the bulk way down yeah. on things. So that's another real good reason to dehydrate. And your, some of your best dehydrators are not that big either. So right. they, they don't take a lot of space yeah, in your house if you're in a small house. Yeah. Okay, so let's just cover for a minute um, 
what what are some of the things? What are the types of foods that can be dehydrated? Okay, the the range is huge. Things that you can right. dehydrate at home is absolutely giant. You can dehydrate herbs. That's pretty natural to us. We think of mm-hmm. dehydrated herbs because that's how we usually use them from the store anyways. Right. But greens, yeah. your greens, you can dehydrate them. We make a super greens powder out of that. Mm-hmm. Like we dehydrate yeah. them, blend them up, and then we have a powder of our own You've got greens. a video on that. We have a video yeah, on we'll, that. Uh, drop that in the description. Of course, you have fruits, yep. you have vegetables, you have meats. Then you have some kind of surprising things like yogurts. Dehydrate yogurt. Yeah, you can make nice little snacks. Yeah. I used to do that for the babies. You might not remind, remember that, but okay. just dehydrate little yogurt dollops. Yeah, is great yeah, little, little dissolvables. Dots. Yeah, I remember yep. those. Yeah. Yep. Broths. Now you that's that's interesting. I mean, I know I remember powder. little the bouillon mm-hmm. bouillon cubes that yeah. my mom used to use and my grandma, yeah. which would be dehydrated broth. Right. And and you'd do it in a powder more probably for home use. Oh, uh, you can actually even do it in a really thick paste. Okay. Powder or paste. Um, and that's one I haven't gotten into as much as I want. I hope to really experiment with that this winter because that would be a great way to do a big batch and then have like your instant soup. Do you think that's like the benefits of that? Because I know you can a lot of broth. Mm-hmm. So in the wintertime, you can add that to rice, quick chicken soup, whatever. Right. Um, you can a lot. What do you think would be like, would there be a benefit to dehydrating yeah. over canning the broth? Well, one is especially if you want to take it somewhere. Got so it. if you want to go out and have a vegetable soup, you know, while you're oh, out hunting, hey, yeah, just even it's not some just warm, water, hot broth to have that in a pack Absolutely. if you get too cold or something. The other thing is cool. just that is that the space saving of it because you can dehydrate a whole, you know, a little bouillon cube this big mm-hmm. or about this much of a bouillon powder packed is flavor. going to take care of about a quart of liquid. So Instead of that quart size jar, you got something about mm. that size. Cool. So size is a really big deal. In that. What about now? Sorry, and this is just a question we hadn't yeah. talked about, but nutritional value, because we know that dehydrating can actually keep a little better nutritional value than, say, canning. And mm-hmm. broth is a highly nutri- nutrient-dense yeah. food. Are you going to retain the nutri- nutritional density better? In some better ways, in you actually retain it better because when you're canning mm-hmm. things like broth, you often break down the collagen. That's why it doesn't thicken anymore when... Say you have that broth you made and it's in the refrigerator and it's so thick, it's like gelatin almost. Mm -hmm. When you go to can it, it breaks down the collagen. That is not necessarily true in dehydrating. You actually keep your collagen in shape still in most cases. Again, it has to do with properly dehydrating it. We're going to get into that. You can also dehydrate things like cooked eggs, not raw eggs, but cooked Mm -hmm. eggs, like your scrambled Mm -hmm. eggs you've taken places. You know, I use the dehydrator most for sprouted grains in a lot of seasons out of the year. We sprout our wheat, dehydrate it so we can grind it into a sprouted wheat flour. Mm -hmm. So that's really handy. You can dehydrate things like noodles or cooked rice so that you have instant noodles or rice. Wow. So lasagna noodles, anybody, you can cook them, then dehydrate them, and then they're instant lasagna noodles, which is really handy. So you don't pre-boil. Very cool. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so... What are some things that in our household, which yeah. you taught, you just started to touch on this, but what are some things that we like to dehydrate a lot that's okay. useful just for our home? Because, you know, every home is different. And yeah. There's all this stuff you can do, but you're going to find yourself doing certain things, mm-hmm. right, that are just applicable to our environment or that we enjoy. Right. So what, what is it? What are some of the things that you dehydrate and why specifically? You know, okay. You just explained like the sprouted wheat. Yeah. yeah. So I just talked about the sprouted wheat. Another one that I'm starting to do, I, I got to tell you guys. I know this goes against a lot of homesteaders, like, (laughs) lifestyle ideas. I've 
just about stopped canning tomatoes altogether because between <laughs> fermenting tomatoes and dehydrating them, I can't figure out why I need them canned in the first place and canning's a lot more work. I love the dehydrated tomatoes. They are so quick and easy to make a sauce from. I don't know if you can see it. We've I, got yeah, a jar back there. I actually have a there. gallon yeah. jar sitting back here because we just are finishing our um, tomato season. And again, you can fill up a whole lot of jars, especially for our family, and take up a lot of shelf space for the enough tomatoes hmm. that, to get us through the winter. Yeah. Whereas dehydrated, I can put, that is like half a bushel of tomatoes in that gallon-sized jar. Yeah. And it's going to rehydrate to that, too. And so um, cool. I really like that. Of course, apples. Mm. We got to have apples. Yep. Then the fruit leather. Now even more fruit leather. We're going to be doing yeah. a lot of fruit leather. We've got a lot of like people it. dreaming of different flavors yeah. of fruit leather. That tip is coming at the end. Hash browns is another mm -hmm. one that I really like. Um, Amish breakfast casserole is really popular. A lot of you guys Ooh, have enjoyed of, that recipe. That's one of my favorite I'll give you the recipes. link in the description to that recipe. Um, but that requires hash browns, and I don't usually want to make the hash browns from scratch. Mm -hmm. So I like doing a big batch of dehydrated hash browns. It makes it super easy to use. Cool. Prunes, of course, are super greens powder. And then we are always doing herbs. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yep. Lots yeah. of use there. Okay. Well, what are some things to stay away from that should not or cannot be dehydrated? Okay. So you have milk really can't be safely dehydrated mm -hmm. at home in a dehydration unit. It can be freeze-dried, but that's not, that's different, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to differentiate those two. Um, uh, let's see, fatty and oily foods mm -hmm. cannot be dehydrated at home. And raw eggs are highly discouraged yeah. to be dehydrated at home, all because, well, the milk and the eggs, they can go bad faster than, they can have spoilage faster than you can dehydrate them. The fatty and oily foods, and that includes fat in foods. So things like your jerky or your meats, that's why you want to take the fat off of them, is because they can go rancid. And mm -hmm. of course, rancid oils we know are carcinogenic. No question about that. So you don't yeah. really want to be eating those. Yeah, cool. Okay. All righty. Well, so... Um, I mean, I feel like we're kind of covering this next part a little bit, but there's some there's some more to go into here. So let's just talk about pros and cons. Okay. What are the major pros, the advantages, and reasons why you want to dehydrate? Okay. The biggest pro is because it's actually really easy. Very few foods need much prep before you get them onto the dehydrator trays. Except for wash, slicing. Right? Yeah, slicing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me just say your food processor with a slicer on it is your best friend for this. Just yeah. run it through. It's all uniform, really easy. The other thing is it's actually really healthy. So many things don't need any additives at all. They don't need sugar to store well. Um, and so it's a great way to get really, really healthy snacks in. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, it's hard to find healthy snacks that don't need immediate preparation that aren't sweet. I found especially that kids will like. Right. But you know, things like kale chips, carrot chips, there are a lot of options um in dehydrating for snacks. Those fruit roll ups. Are, Man. And that one is a yeah. little sweet, but it you is, know, but, but it is a healthy but, version of sweet. But it's healthy. Yeah. It's sweet, it but it's a healthy sweet. It's not I mean, it is. is there any sugar in that? I put some sugar little, in it. I'll, little, I'll tell you okay, about right, it at the right, end. Right, We're right, gonna right, dial right, this right. in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um light it's light, space saving. We already talked about that. The storage is really, really great. 
And of course, it's energy efficient, even running a electric electric dehydrator, the Excalibur on it that I have. Their user manual says that it costs between three and six cents an hour to run. Mm -hmm. That is very cheap compared to, say, running your canner or pressure canner. It's very cheap, definitely compared to like a freeze dryer. So that's, you know, that's a really good deal. Right. Sure is. Good. And then we'll talk about a few different methods of dehydrating as well. Yeah. You don't have to do electric. I mean, if you're trying to do scale, get things done, you're going to want to, but there's there's other ways to do it. Right. Um, but first, okay, so what are what are some of the cons? What are some of the, you know, detriments to dehydrating or, or reasons or situations where you wouldn't want to dehydrate? Okay. So first <clears throat> of all, especially if you're using that electric uh, dehydrator, mm-hmm. you do, you're limited to the amount of tray space that you have at the time. And they're not right? real big unless mm-hmm. you're going to go commercial, really expensive. Yeah, you can yeah. get like full wall for, for units. For electric ones. Yeah. For electric, and that's going to be just crazy expensive. But for most home models, I have two nine tray Excaliburs for our family. And a lot of times they are full during harvest season, mm-hmm. running all the time. So, you know, you have to be aware that you have limited amount that you can process in, say, a 12-hour window. Right. Um, Of course, you need to have the right setup. Whatever that is, you need to have either your electric uh, dehydrator or a different setup. We're going to be talking about different options in a second. You've got to create a warm, dry environment that circulates air. Exactly. One way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, And then for some things, it changes the flavor. I can't stand the taste of any carrot that has ever been dehydrated. I just, I don't like that flavor. (laughs) Green beans are notorious for changing flavor. So there are some things that really the flavor changes drastically, even when it's been reconstituted. So, um, and reconstituting is the process of getting it wet again. So it's a little plumper, more like fresh. Right. Um, And then the last one is that the texture changes. Sure. Um, Even when it's reconstituted, generally your texture is going to be a little different. Even the scrambled eggs, right? Yeah, the scrambled eggs, like, and some things are better than others. Yeah. Like some of the stews, the spaghetti, some of those dinner meals all came out pretty good. Yeah. You know, they, 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 came, they came back. I mean, they weren't like original texture, but they yeah. came back pretty good. The eggs definitely, you know, you get by. But you need they, that fresh they, trout to mix in yeah. with the eggs to make it passable. Oh, really, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> That's very helpful if you're on a lake. And yeah. <laughs> So it does change the texture and it can change the flavor. And, but you'll bit. find what you like through trying different things. And that's why we all have our go-tos and our things is you'll find the stuff that works for you and stuff that doesn't work yeah, for you. Absolutely. Like, yeah, pass on that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, so there's a bunch of different ways to dehydrate. We're talking mostly electric here mm-hmm. and there's reason for that. But but that's not your only option when it comes to dehydrating. Right. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, let's start with electric since we've been at just the electric dehydrator. Yeah, so you have different grades of electric dehydrator. If you're looking at buying an electric dehydrator, I really recommend you find one with a thermostat so you can choose your temperature. That really gets you a better product in the end and a fan so that it circulates the air all the way. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, some don't have a fan. They just rely on heat. And that's that's really not as effective, and it causes a lot more work on your side. So, again, I use an Excalibur. I've loved it. I've had mine for 15 years, 16, Oh, at least. It feels like it's about as long as I can remember. Use it all the time and have for all those years and never once had a problem with it. So I'm just sold on them because it's been such a solid unit for us. Um, But there, you know, like you said, there are other 
situations that you can create that are going to dry food. If you live in a dry environment, you can just dry food out on your shelf in some cases. Well, and so the age old is solar. I mean, that is yeah. probably the original, right. you know, way to dehydrate. And, and you can make that as simple as what you're saying and just setting things out, you know, in the sun uh-huh. and warming them to solar, you know, dehydrators mm-hmm. that, that um, control airflow and monitor temperature. Yeah, and you can definitely do that. It is important to note that, though, that if it's sitting in the direct sun, you are going to be losing nutrients. Right. So a lot of times, even in solar dehydration, you know, your best option is if you're in a warm environment and you can dry in the shade, Mm -hmm. but it has to be dry enough. In a really humid environment, you can have a really hard time getting things dry enough. That can be a real challenge. And so another option would be, in the oven with just a pilot light on or just your light bulb on. Um, You know, there are actually some of the new ovens right now I know have a dehydrate setting on them so that it's low enough. very cool. Especially convection ovens will run the fan with just a very, very low heat, and that can be really nice. So you can just dehydrate on your cookie sheets in the oven if you have that. Yep, absolutely. And then lastly, I mean, there's probably some other ones maybe we're not thinking of. These are the main ones is, mm-hmm. is just hang drying. Simple right. hang drying, which is for herbs particularly, is herbs, one of the bigger greens. ones. Greens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where you're just hanging them from the ceiling. Again, you want them in a dark environment that's warm and uh, has a lot of air circulation so that you're not getting that stagnated air where you're going to cause mold. Right. Because that's kind of your big enemy is the yeah. mold, Right. So there are a lot of things that you can do without an actual dehydrator, electric dehydrator. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So let's just cover some of the basics here. Just the basic steps dehydrating. What do folks need to know? Okay. So no matter what method you're using, there are some basics that you need to know. They're easier to deal with with an electric dehydrator, but Mm -hmm. if you don't have one, this information is going to be really helpful. Right. Exactly. Okay. So step number one, when you're dehydrating food is choose what food you're going to dehydrate, but you have to know nothing is going to get better when it's preserved than when you buy it, except for maybe something you're fermenting, then maybe. Mm. But in the case of something that's dehydrated, you you want to have great food that you're starting with. It Mm. needs to be as perfectly ripe as you want it to be to eat it. It Mm -hmm. needs to be non-molded, non-bruised, all of those things, because it's not going to get any better when you dehydrate it. Right. And that's really important because a lot of people go to the grocery store and old bananas are on sale and, you know, you Mm. bring them home and you want to dehydrate all of them. Just know they're still going to be old bananas when they hit that dehydrator. They're not going to get any younger. You better like the flavor, right? You better know you like them. Some people like the flavor. Absolutely. I I like them almost green myself, but we're all different. So have it where you want it. Absolutely. That's That's really important. to say that. Um, Number two is some items do need pre-treatment. And Mm. obviously, we're not going to sit here right now and say, if you're dehydrating apples, this is what you need to do. So the best thing to do is get yourself a really good dehydrator book that's going to tell you exactly how to treat each item that Mm. you want to dehydrate. Um, This is the book that I have used. It's called Mary Bell's Complete Dehydrator Cookbook. I have like five different dehydrator cookbooks, and this is the one I come back to all the time. It has been a great book, and I highly recommend it. Um, so we'll put the link to it in the description for you guys. Cool. But um, 
But I would recommend getting a book so you know exactly what to do to each thing. Some things you need to blanch first, especially with vegetables. Right. The general rule of thumb is that if you would cook it before you would eat it, say like potatoes, you don't eat potatoes raw, right. um, then you need to blanch it before you dehydrate it. The other thing is that some fruits are going to do better if they have the acid treatment to keep them from getting brown because they're going to be sitting out for quite a while in okay. the dehydration process. Right. So just know what you need to do to each thing. Okay. Good. Ready? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Number three is to get them sliced or cut or put into some sort of a uniform shape so that they're all the same thickness so they dry it approximately the same rate. Right. If you get if you get a whole bunch of variation there, you're going to get some things are going to yeah. over dry and then some things aren't, aren't going to dry, dry enough. Exactly. So you want to get them into that uniform size, get them onto whatever your tray is, right. hopefully spaced out so they have some airflow. Sure. Yep. Next is if you're using an electric dehydrator with a thermostat, set it to the correct temperature. And this is really important to get your best nutrient value out of your foods. If you're talking herbs, we want to be about 115 degrees Fahrenheit. For greens and veggies, you're at about 125 degrees. For fruits, 135 degrees. And for jerkies, you really need to be up at 165 mm -hmm. degrees for meats or anything like that. Right. So cool. that's going to get you. Yep. Um, even if you're using a dehydrator with a fan, you're going to want to rotate your trays occasionally. I find that that just gives you the best results in the long run. And depending on what you're dehydrating, you may want to actually flip the vegetables, fruits, or the item over hmm. on your tray sometimes. What, what, like, can you give us an example of that? Like, yeah. Something that you... Sometimes, like right now, I'm doing a lot of plums or mm -hmm. prunes. And so you start them out with the skin side down so okay. that it lets off moisture. But at some point, that can end up, because the wrinkling, holding in moisture in the those bottom, wrinkles. Because it's like a little bowl yeah. almost, right? And so you want to flip yeah. it over so that yep. you get that. It's not always necessary, but usually you can get a better product. Yeah. Yeah. So Makes that sense. was step number five. Number six, this is where that book comes back in. Make sure you know the desired consistency or texture of the finished product that you're looking for. Some things need to be crispy to be dried properly to store for a long time. Okay. Some things need to be leathery. So you need to know your, your finished goal and then be checking your food. Make sure when you check food in the dehydrator, you take it out of the dehydrator let it cool to room temperature before you check it because that heat adds pliability. Yeah, so you got to see what it's really like. What it's, it's really not, like. It's, yeah, it's going to yeah. adjust. And then last is to store it. Once you get it done, obviously you're not going to leave it sitting out in the sun. You don't want to leave it hanging from your ceiling. In the case of an herb, you want to get it into an airtight container. Some people use moisture absorbers just to be sure, desiccants, just to be sure they didn't leave any moisture in there. Mm -hmm. What I like to do is I just put it in, check it after a day, make sure there's no condensation on the inside of the jar to be sure I got it all the way dry, in which case I know it's good to sit on the shelf. And so then it's good. If you've then done it's that good. check, well, that's a, yeah. nice, that's a nice little hack yeah, right there to is. avoid the, you know, how the desiccants are just another thing to buy, yeah. throw away, take care of. So that's a nice solution. Yeah, you don't really need to do yeah, that. Yeah, cool. So. Right on. So that's a good just overview yeah. in, in how to dehydrate. Yeah. And um, so now we get on to using some of those foods. So, of course, you can use a lot of them raw and in mm -hmm. their dehydrated form. You know, for example, the fruit leathers or the, the chips mm -hmm. or the jerky. Um, but what we seem to have forgotten in our culture a little bit is that 
historically, a lot of the foods that were dehydrated were reconstituted mm -hmm. and then cooked with. And brought back, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the way you generally do that, let's say you've dehydrated some spinach, you want to use it in a winter soup, you're going to get that into lukewarm or room temperature water generally for about 30 minutes before you want to add it to something hot or cook with it and reconstitute that. Reconstituting times can be anywhere from about 30 minutes to about two hours. But you don't want to just take your food, with the exception of herbs, you don't want to just take your dried food and dump it into your boiling soup. Yeah. That will not allow it to reconstitute properly. So you need to do it in cool lukewarm room temperature water first. So give us a tip. I know you're going to have one here right at the end on the mm -hmm. fruit leathers, but give us a tip on tomatoes because that's one you're 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 finding yourself using more and more dehydrated. Mm -hmm. We use tomatoes in a lot. So that's one I think that you you often dehydrate. Mm -hmm. Re I'm sorry, rehydrate. Yeah. Right? Like you're talking about. So give give us a couple tips on that because I think people are going to like that idea that they can dehydrate tomatoes, uh -huh. but that's definitely one that you're going to want to dehydrate. <laughs> Rehydrate. rehydrate. Yeah. Yeah, they actually and taste really good as tomato <laughs> chips. But when you want to reconstitute them, and this is such a good thing when we're running out of canning lids. They're hard to get right now, canning supplies. So this yeah. is a really good alternate way to get your tomatoes in. I like to toss them with salt and, and Italian seasoning before I dehydrate right. them. Yeah. Dehydrate them in slices. And then when I'm ready to use them, I just take a good handful of them and Personally, if I'm going to make a sauce, I stick them right in my blender and pour room temperature water over them and let them sit there for about 10 minutes to 30 minutes. Then I just turn the blender on. Yeah. It makes a great sauce. You can add more or less water depending on if you're looking for a thick sauce, a thinner sauce. You can season it differently. You can add all sorts of things. Usually you add a little bit of honey or something if you want to make a pizza sauce out of it. Usually that's a little sweeter. sweeter yep. You know, so it just is so usable and so easy. It only takes a few minutes to reconstitute it and just blend it right up in the Very blender. cool. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a great tip. And I hadn't thought about that going into this discussion. Just we know, and, and a lot of you know out there, how difficult it is to get canning supplies. Yeah. And so what you can do with dehydrating some of these vegetables and maximizing space and use of the supplies that you have. So mm -hmm. that's a good pivot it is. right now in yeah. an environment that's a little bit challenging when it comes to preserving uh, via canning. That's, so yeah, very, 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 very good thought. Um, all right. So we're, we're about to wrap up here. Final and, tip. And <laughs> uh, final tip that you promised about the best fruit leather. This is something you've been making for us for, for nearly two decades. And I've always been really happy with it. Okay. I didn't know until recently that you weren't liking your recipe because we like did have it. a season where you weren't making a whole lot and mm -hmm. I thought it just wasn't working out. But I didn't realize that's because you were, there was something wasn't working the way you wanted it to. And now you've come back to this and you, you've got you've got a hack. You've got something that changes the game on fruit leathers. So tell us about it. That is added pectin. <clears throat> okay. Essentially, I make a low sugar jam out of the fruit and with the added pectin. And one, that pectin is really good for you. So it's very okay. healthy for you. It's added cool. fiber and stuff. But two, it thickens it enough that you get this great texture and it's like a store-bought fruit leather, which I grew up with the store-bought version as like the ideal treat from the grocery store. And so <laughs> I've had this in my mind for years. I've been looking for that and this just did it. So my, my real trick, if you use the Pomona's pectin, 
you can multiply that many times over so you don't have to just make a single batch of jam mm -hmm. and you can make it very low sugar. You don't want a full sugar jam for this because sugar dehydrates really slowly. So it'll leave it wet and sticky mm. instead if you have too much sugar in there. Um, but a little bit is going to preserve your color and you do need a little bit to mix in with that uh, pectin. You could use honey. You could use some other things. Okay. I haven't cool. experimented with that yet. But it makes a nice, thick, pliable leather that does not over dry and become chips. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> chips. Okay, so it is a great way to go. Um, and then you just slice it up and put it in some parchment paper for storage in a bag. And it's ready to go for, you know, lunch snacks. Wow. Whatever it is that you cool. need it for. So. Well, I'm what, what I've had so far is great. And I'm excited to uh, be able to pull some of these out in the pack this fall. And so thanks for that. That's, yeah. a, that's really, really good. It's been great hanging with you guys. You got to go. And we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.